0: Sermon number 684, The Church in Your House, preached on Family Sunday or Mother's Day, May 12, 1974, in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. The text is taken from Philemon, verse 2, and The Church in Your House. It's one of the most difficult books in the Bible to find. It's on page 198 of the New Testament. The letter of Paul to Philemon. Beginning at the first verse. Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Ephesus, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that that the sharing of your faith may promote the knowledge of all the good that is ours in Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an ambassador, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own free will. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. problem, a great big problem. What could he do as a Christian minister to help young Onesimus, Onesimus, who one time was a slave, who had run away, probably had stolen, and in his desire to get lost, he had been found by God through Jesus Christ. He became converted, probably under Paul's ministry, and now Paul was trying to find out what he could do to help this young Onesimus in the faith to become a stronger Christian. Do you see what he did? He did what you and I do when we're trying to help young Christians. He sent them to church. (laughs) He sent Onesimus to church. And that was really something because you see in those days there were no church buildings He didn't send him to the Presbyterian or the Methodist or the Episcopalian church in Laodicea There weren't any but he sent him to church The church that was in the house of Philemon people realize that until the 3rd century there was no such thing as a church building. For nearly 200 years, people worshipped the living Christ in their homes, and they were known as house churches. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, not only because Philemon was the master of Onesimus, but he sent him back because he knew Philemon was a Christian, and what was more, the important that there was a church in the house of Philemon. You see, Paul knew what God has been doing for some time, and which the rest of us better hurry up and understand. That God has, for years since the beginning of time, housed His church in homes. When God wished to reveal himself as the Father unto mankind, to whom did he come? The beginning chapters of Genesis tell us that he did not come to an individual, he did not come to a group of people, he came to a family. Genesis calls that family Adam and Eve, and he met with them in a garden which served as their house. When God later in history chose to send forth his only begotten son, he sent him through a family of Mary and Joseph who had temporary quarters in a stable because there was no room for them in the house. When God revealed the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit on that first Pentecost, he did so not in the temple down on Fifth Avenue in Jerusalem. But he did so in the room of a house where Christians worshiped. Ladies and gentlemen, the home needs the Christian church to help inspire it and support it and guide it. But the church needs the home to be able to become the church which God intended her to be. And that's the point we need to zero in on, not only on this Mother's Day or Family's Day, but throughout all of the church year. Because I'm fully convinced that maybe one of the reasons the church is in trouble today is because the home's in trouble. God has granted unto each one of us the opportunity to be raised in a family, in a house. And expects a church, the spirit of the church, to be in your house. Now, it's not easy to build a church, whether it be in Richland Township or whether it be in your home. Churches are not easily built. For the institutional church, to be truly the church, God must be regularly, sincerely, and conscientiously worshipped, and that's what can make a church in your house the spirit of honest, sincere, regular, conscientious worship in your house. And that's not an easy thing. Some of us have been in love for a long time with the idea of the family altar. family devotions. And I think it probably was easier to worship God in homes that have had or still have today the family altar. But let's face it, if we're going to be honest, I'm afraid there are few families in this congregation that regularly set apart the time of the day to read together from God's word, sing hymns, and join in prayers. You know the excuses. You make them. I don't know why we don't do it. I do think that maybe one reason is because some of you, and I know many of you were raised with the family altar, but you've forsaken it. You've done so because you felt somewhat like a hypocrite, I think. You you felt the insincerity that was there. It can happen there just as it can happen in any of us who try to practice family or personal devotions. It's tough. Sometimes we can get so involved in worshiping the ritual that we forget to worship the God. Sometimes it becomes such a drudgery that all we want to do is get rid of it and get over with it, thinking that we have done it, even though the sincerity and the honesty has not been there. I encourage family altars, but I also recognize the weakness that it's easy to fall into a pattern where the spontaneity, the the honesty, the truthfulness, It can disappear. I would hope that some of you would seriously consider having this type of uh, worship in your home, but I doubt very much whether any of you will go to that effort or trouble. I hope, though, that you will continue, or if not, begin if you have not had the opportunity to try to remember yourself and to teach your children that the worship of God can be something more than just reading his word. I think you can be worshiping God regularly and sincerely when when you remember yourself and teach your children that you have a wonderful, good, beautiful home, not only because of the graciousness of the finance company, but also because of the grace of God, your Father. I think when you remember yourself and teach your children that you have good neighbors, not just because you're popular but because of the providence of God. I think you can be thanking and worshiping God when you remember yourself and you teach your children. that the reason you have food to eat and clean, warm beds in which to sleep is not just because you have been fabulous as a success in making a living, but because God has called you to be a faithful steward throughout all of your life. I think you worship God when, as husband and wife, father and mother, you, at night before retire, look in the curb of a little child, and maybe holding hands, you merely look into one another's eyes and realize that that miracle is a gift entrusted to you from God, and simply you say to one another, Praise God. I think husband and wife can worship God when maybe sitting in the quietness of the living room watching television, reading. He who now is becoming more bald and she who is now a little bigger than she was on the wedding day, they look at one another and realize that throughout all of life, enduring the trials, enjoying the comforts, they, by the grace of God, still believe and love in each other. And maybe he or she, let's go praise God. And your mate may look at you and think you're a little odd, but God will understand. <coughs> you thank God when you look into the eyes of your children, eyes that maybe at that moment are filled with joy or maybe with tears, and you realize that you belong by the providence of God to each other and you thank God for that providence. That's being in worship to God when sincerely, honestly, with a spontaneous response, you somehow just say, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. That's what helps to make the church in your home. Also, there must be a mutual obedience to Jesus Christ. A church, to be a church, must be obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the church. Jesus Christ is either first in your household or he's nowhere. Either first or he's nowhere. This means that in your home, the schedule, the activities, these are decided not by the baby nor by the busy activities of your high school youth, nor by the budget, nor by a domineering father, nor by the golf schedule or the bridge table. It means that your house is controlled by the Jesus Christ teaching and ethic. Now, that requires work, because before you can know or follow what Jesus teaches, you have to know it, and that takes work. I'm sorry, just by listening to a preacher on Sunday or by being involved in a church school class, that will not give you enough information to be able to make a standard in your home that is Christ-centered. This particular word, you see, has been given as a book of instruction. A book of instruction not only to the institutional church, but for a church anywhere, even the church that is in your own home. I don't care how many Bibles you own or how big the Bible is that you carry. If you don't know what is in it and the Bible is not in your heart and in your mind, it's of no value to you. This is God's word, and when till not only father and mother, but the young people as well, understand the teachings of Jesus, and they're not as hard to understand as some people make you think they are, there will be no mutual obedience to Jesus Christ. What is the criteria factor in your home? When John and Mary have a fight because John thinks money is to be spent and Mary thinks it's to be saved, who makes the decision What will be done? When father thinks a child should be spent and mother reads a psychology book and feels that freedom of expression is what he or she needs, who makes the decision? When we begin to study the Word of God, it requires work. And not only that, you will find that when you study the Word of God and trying to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ, you will find that to some things you want to do, you will have to say no. And no is never an easy or popular word to say, but to be obedient to Jesus Christ, the church in your home to some practices and to some requests must say no. And also, you will find that this is a difficult process because there will be some things that you don't want to do, but to be obedient to Jesus Christ, you will have to say to those things, Yes, I will do it. That's what makes the Church the Church, not only a sincere, honest desire to worship God, but also to be obedient. Obedient! through the teachings of Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation which can be laid than that which is already laid in Jesus Christ. And the church in your house must also be a place where Christian love is just not talked about, but where it is experienced and exercised in practice. Christian love. You see that that's a phrase that we use to explain a special kind of love. There's different kind of loves, you know. Every family begins with a natural love called romantic love. It's the love that is supposed to exist between a man and a woman, and which is used to bring them together to form a family. Then, when children come along, there's a filial love, a love. But it's a little different than romantic love. It's the love that a child can have for a parent or a parent has for a child. But those two loves can never make a church in the home. Now, the divorce rate and the mounting juvenile delinquency are trying to show us that that kind of love, romantic love, filial love, those kinds of love are not enough there must be the third kind of love the love which we call from the greek agape agape love it's the love that paul is talking about when he says a love that beareth all things believeth all things hopeth all things endureth all things love that can never fail love that never keeps any score that's agape love and that love can come only by the spirit of god's holiness working through individuals who pray for that kind of spirit and who wait upon god to feed their heart and their minds with it that kind of love which enables you to love the unlovely to forgive the unforgivable to be what god would want you to be that kind of love though it's talked about in the church it's in one place, in the home, in the home. That's where prejudice, hatred, bias begins, not in the institutional church, no. <coughs> you bring those things from your home to the institutional church, they begin in the church that is in your home. If they can begin there, so can agape love. Love that Jesus Christ expressed for God in his love for the church, for you and for me. Sincere worship of God, obedience to Jesus Christ. And then we were talking about but the practicing of Christian love. And then I think there's one thing more. A church, if it's to be a true church, must be willing to share its best without any thought for either restraint or reward. Give of its best. Be willing to share its best. You see, this is where I think we've gotten off the track somewhat. People come expecting to receive from the church and forget that they are supposed to give to the church and be willing to share the best best, not the worst, but the best that they have, without any thought or regard for reward or restraint. They just give. I'll never forget that little boy. I never saw him before and I've never seen him since, but it was when I was in Washington County and the church that I was serving had a renovation program and it was costing money. I spoke to a youth retreat conference outside the parish limits. A young boy came to me and said, Reverend, can I see you afterwards? I met him. He said, Do you mind if we go outside? The boy could not have been more than 12 or 13. I really didn't know what he had in mind, a little bit frightened. And as we stood talking, he took from his pocket a crumpled up dollar bill. He said, I, I mowed grass today, and I understand you're helping to rebuild the church. Please. Take this as my gift. That's it. The church being helped by a boy who had caught, not in church, but in his home, the ability to be willing to share his best without regard for reward or restraint. Ladies and gentlemen, the institutional church today has problems. There's only two places it can turn for help. God, whose Son Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head of the church and for his spirit that makes the church the church, and to its members, who are supposed to have the spirit of the church in their home, and who bring it from their homes to the Institutional Church, not only on Sundays, but whenever we meet for worship, meetings, or study. I hear more and more people who are saying they're bored with the Church, they're tired of the Church, they're upset with the Church, they don't feel at home in the Church. I used to feel more guilty about that than I do now. Certainly the church has problems and some some complaints are justifiable. But you know, so often I hear that comment from people. And I think I know now why some say they do not feel at home in the church. It's because they don't have a church in their home. God is no burglar. He's no midnight visitor who breaks down windows or knocks down doors or prize open to get in. He comes into a home only one way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If you haven't opened it already, he's knocking today. Listen! Open the door to the church in your home. Father, help us to know that you are as much, if not more, interested in our homes than you are in your own house. Help us to realize that only as we become interested in the church in our home, where we find a home in the Church of Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of His Holy Spirit be with you and your Church, wherever she be, now and forevermore. Amen.